Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Sorry. My, my bellowing voice. Before we begin this morning, I would like to say a very big thank you to those of you who wrote letters for the prison ministry. Craig and I were at the final team gathering yesterday, and I was able to hand in those letters that to support the, the, the people that will be participating in the short course in Parkley Jail. Uh, this is a list of the participants that will be partaking of the short course over four days, where we have the honor and privilege to go into the prison in Parkley, uh, meet with these gentlemen, and share with them the wonderful, life-transforming message of Jesus Christ. So please pray, choose a name, and please pray for that particular individual. Um, if you want to know how to, to pronounce that very last name, ask Craig. He's mastered that. Brilliant. How do you say it, Craig? Sopuanga. Yeah, well done. Well done, Sopuanga. Uh, you also have a Sione, which is at the top of that list there, Sione, which is basically a Polynesian way of saying John. Uh, that, that's what that name is as well. But please choose one of those guys. Um, because it is something that they've asked to participate in, um, depending on how it goes, we may have some people drop out, some people pop in, and hence the reserves down the bottom there. Pray for wisdom on behalf of the people doing the studies, myself and the other people doing the talks. Pray for Craig as he's going to be the runner. So he's going to be traveling back and forth from the prison to the base camp, going back and forth. He's got a huge responsibility of doing all the logistical things on that side of things. So please pray for Craig as well, just driving-wise, and pray for safety for the team also. If you would like to join a prayer vigil during the four days, they have actually a 24-hour prayer vigil. And they have slots 24 hours. I can, I'll put that on the Grace Christian Church devotional wall. And you can actually click on that and choose a half-hour slot. Um, they have some of the early hours of the morning uh, as well. It's just, so, so, there's, so this particular short course is bathed in prayer. That these people will be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what's a real blessing is that there are, I believe, five people who are helpers that are residents. They actually don't call them inmates, they call them residents. Uh, but these, these five residents are products, uh, basically are brand new Christians who have come to know Jesus through doing the Kairos short course within the prison. And they're coming back to help as well. So there's five more inmates as well that will be helping us run the course with the guys inside. We met the chaplain, Lever, uh, yesterday as well, who came to the thing. So I would really appreciate your prayers. And once again, thank you so much for those letters, because that will be a great blessing for the inmates as well. Every single inmate will get a, a personalized letter from you guys. And so we do really thank you for that. Second thing, I would like to thank you, those of you who are praying for Emily. Um, just for a quick update, Emily's immune system went down to zero. And so she had to be quarantined for a long time. She didn't want to have to go to hospital. And so we were praying for her. Uh, she had a, a number of different um, blood tests done. And then when the, the most recent one, I went to the doctor. And the first question the doctor asked was, has she been to the hospital for her immune booster? And I said, no, she hasn't. He goes, oh, well, because everything's back to normal. And so you need to have another blood test just to make sure everything's okay, because I don't want to, it shouldn't be a, a mistake, but that's a real answer to prayer there as well in regards to Emily's system recovering. So we're very, very thankful for that. Now, coming into November, we are starting a new, I wouldn't say a new series, as it were. Uh, we have next week the blessing of a few guest speakers 
coming along. So Jeff Folland, who was the men's retreat speaker, he has made himself available to come and speak next week. So a friend of Jono, and, and he connected with Aaron. Um, it was a great blessing. I was only there for one of the sessions, well, half of one of the sessions, because we had Auntie Eng Hong's birthday, which I went to. But if, next week, Jeff Folland is coming out to share the word with us. The week after that, I met a few gentlemen from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Uh, he's an apologist. His name is Mr. Stark. Uh, first question was, is your dad's name Tony? And he said no. But uh, Alex Stark from Ravi Zacharias Ministries is coming after that. Then on the 16th and 17th, we have a very special weekend taking place. If I understand correctly, I believe a couple in our church is getting married on the 16th of November. That is really close, bro. And, and because we have the connection with uh, Japan through Julie, the bride-to-be, uh, Kiichi uh, Kitahara is coming out to share with us the following Sunday. So on the 17th of um, November, the Kitaharas will be here to share with us as well. So um, it's going to be a great month. So I thought instead of starting off a new official series, I'd much rather kick things off a little bit slow and have a few one-offs as well. But my prayer still remains the same, uh, that we will be impressed with the Word of God upon our hearts to be the people God calls us to be, as opposed to do the things God expects us to do. It's a matter of a change of our nature, not just going through the motions, but a change of our hearts, a change of our very being. So I'm just going to open in a word of prayer, and we'll go into the Word of God together. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you so much for your Spirit. We thank you so much for the way you are working within each of our lives, no matter what the context, no matter what our ethnicity, no matter what our age, you are continually there calling us, drawing us, challenging us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I don't know the situation of everybody here, but I pray that you'll connect with us, that you'll connect with us in such a deep way that it'll bring about a transformation that will not be limited just to an emotion that we feel or, or, or going through emotion that might last a, a day or two or even a week, but rather that it'll be a lifelong change. Father, transform us. Father, work within our hearts. Father, make it so evident to us of the things that need to be just brought into line with your heartbeat and with your will and with, with your longing. Father, bring our hearts into line with yours. Change us, Lord. Work within our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past eight weeks, we have listened to and prayerfully learned biblically the truths that worship is not limited to a practice and a meeting on a Sunday. Worship is not limited to a weekly Bible study that we attend or limited to a monthly prayer meeting that we do the first of every month. That worship is not limited to even our own personal daily quiet time. Rather, that worship can be expressed in the relationships that we share, in the way we conduct ourselves at work, by the testimony we have within the community. That worship, meaning the acknowledgement, the adoration, the recognition that God is at work in people's lives can be demonstrated anywhere and at any time. But, and I really liked, because I listened to Cameron Watts' sermon last week, I really liked the point that he made that as opposed to have outside influences forcing us to do what we need to do, rather that there is an inward drive that allows us or, or motivates us to be what we are supposed to be. 
And so I thought today we're going to go and look at a particular example found within the New Testament in one person's specific life. So I've basically just looked at today what I call a study in Mark. It's a study in Mark. Now, Mark's gospel was the first of the gospels written. Now, Mark himself was not actually a disciple of Jesus, but he was a close friend with Peter, the apostle. And so it is said traditionally that he basically drew all his information from Peter in the record or in the account of Jesus's life. They say it was probably written as early as 50 AD. Now, think about that for a second. 50 AD, which means Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven around 30 to 33 AD. So you've got 17 to 20 years of when this guy wrote this down for people to read. 17 to 20 years. How many here are younger than 20? Eva and Saeed. Okay, Saeed, you look pretty old for 20 then, bro. Okay, okay now just kidding. But I mean, that, that there means this. That means that there was a lot of people, a lot of eyewitnesses that were there that could dispute what was written down. There was a lot of people there that could sit there and complain. If someone said something about the resurrection of Jesus, someone could have stood up and said, no, that didn't happen that way. Talking about the miracles of Jesus, no, that didn't happen that way. Why? Because eyewitnesses were there to testify of what actually took place, which gives legitimacy to the record and to the account that we have within the pages of Scripture. Don't ever forget that. And the gospel itself has a distinctly non-Jewish flavor about it. The, the focus of Mark's gospel is the obedient servant, and it has been said that Mark's audience were people who were suffering persecution, who were going through suffering at the time. And so Mark, when he wrote it, emphasized on the fact that, well, look, look at the example of our Savior, the suffering servant that was obedient to the call placed on his life by his heavenly Father. Now, you might ask yourself, what or why is that relevant to you and I today? Well, think about that for a second. You and I now are in the smack dab in the middle of a culture that is completely antithetical to what we believe as Christians. We live now in a, in a culture and in a society that basically says, if you believe in Jesus, we want to silence you. We want to silence you at the least. We want to quash or squash or any rights that you have as Christians and as churches so that we can drag you down and get to say who you get to hire, what you get to speak about, what you get to do publicly. That's the type of society we're living in today. Now, please don't take from this message and what I just said now that the whole idea is it's us against them. Okay, I, I don't want to promote that mentality or that idea. It's not that like we're on this side and they're our enemies. No, we're on this side and we want to love them into the kingdom. That's what we want to do. That's our purpose. That's our audience, to love them into the kingdom. So I wanted to look at this morning an individual that showed up in a particular context that was completely countercultural to what was going on in the day. And that particular gentleman is John the Baptist. So if you've got your Bibles, please, please turn to Mark chapter 1, and I'm only going to read the first eight verses for you. I'm reading from the ESV. 
And it begins like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just to provide a bit of context, it has been 400 years since God had communicated with his people on a national level. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament is 400 years of God's silence. Now think about that. During that 400 years, we end up having years of oppression, years of being dominated by foreign invaders, years of being alone, and most probably feeling abandoned by their own God, years of religious practice. Years of religiosity trying to take place and thinking, how can we earn the recognition and the acknowledgement of our God once more? That is on a national level. On a personal level, something else is taking place. The reason why I say that is because we read about, say, the likes of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, who awaits the consolation of Israel. And And he talks about that when he sees Jesus. So, the Holy Spirit had told him that he had to await the consolation of Israel. You look at Anna, the prophetess, in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, who awaited the redemption of Israel once again. And if you look at the likes of Mary in Luke chapter 2, you look at the likes of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, you have on an individual basis where God communicates to his people, which is always a principle we need to understand and need to recognize as the people of God. God always communicates to his people. God always speaks. And if you don't hear what God is saying, then it's not so much that God isn't speaking. It may be one, we're not hearing, or two, we're not hearing what we want to hear. But God is always communicating, whether it be through his word, whether it be through a message, whether it be through a song, whether it be through a circumstance, whether it be through a brother or a sister in Christ. Our God always speaks. Now, if you have this particular state of these years of religious practice, of all these things going on, there is this, I guess you could say, a spiritual famine taking place in the land, whereby this one individual steps up and starts making things known. This one guy steps up, John the Baptist, John the Baptist steps up and he is completely different to every religious practice and every religious practitioner that is taking place around that time. Now, stop there for a second. 
Think about the spiritual state of Australia today. We have, I guess you could say, a spiritual famine taking place in 21st century Australia. Now, there are people that talk about spirituality, and I have met people like this. Oh, no, I am not religious, but I am spiritual. What does that mean? It means that they want to create something that accommodates them and their particular lifestyle, but doesn't cost anything about their lives. They will create something that makes sense to them, but because it makes sense to them, they think, well, you can't tell me because I've, I've, I've reached this. So they've basically broken the, the, the first two commandments of where they've, they've, they've created their own God and they've bowed down to something else. They've created something that will accommodate what they think it should be, which is really quite ridiculous when you think about it. I'm not, trying to, I'm not mocking anybody. I'm not trying to insult anybody. All I'm saying is that if you're in a relationship, for example, Craig and myself, we have a friendship, I hope. We have a friendship with my brother, but if I am now trying to enforce upon him what I think our relationship would be, then that's not a relationship. I'm trying to create him to fit into a framework that I've made, and when he doesn't, therefore, okay, that's not going to work. We're going to break this friendship off. This is what people do with our God. This is the state of the world today. This was the state of the world in John the Baptist's day as well. So we have this guy who shows up, and if you read in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, we read this. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 5. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem went out to him. Think about that. The whole countryside had come to see this guy who shows up on a riverbank and starts speaking and doing things that was completely different to the religious methods of the day. He stood out. Everything about him was different. It was different in the way he lived. He was different in where he lived. He was different in the way he dressed. He was different in, in the food he ate. He was different in the message that he preached. Remember the religious climate of the day. A temple full of religious people, of movers and shakers that sought to make money. People who tried to manipulate the situations for their own personal benefit. Charlatans. I really like that word. Charlatans. They were religious charlatans proclaiming a message that gave them comfort and gave them power. It got so bad that these religious charlatans performed such horrendous acts before God and before the people of God that we read this in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. One of the accounts, we read one of the accounts. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Think about this for a second. The image of Jesus making a cord of whips and smacking people overturning tables, telling them, get out, get out. How many of you have been chased by your mum or your dad with a belt? It is one of the most terrifying things you have seen in your life. I have an amazing story of when my dad chased me around the block with a belt. I, I, I ran through people's properties to try and get away from them. 
I ran through people's properties. I jumped over fences, jumped through hedges. I remember, it was like a movie. I remember looking at this hedge and all the, all the leaves are starting to sort of flutter down. And I'm like, oh no. And then all of a sudden this man just comes, boom, busting through the hedge. And I'm just like, ah. And I took off. I got caught and I got beaten. Pretty, I'm not, okay, that's wrong. This is on the internet. So I won't say beaten. I got disciplined very strongly that day by my dad. I love my dad heaps. And it was very well deserved. But that's a terrifying sight of having a large Polynesian man with a belt chasing you. This is the creator of heaven and earth who takes, he, he makes it. He makes it. He took time to take up the things necessary, made it, and then said, because this is how precious and how valuable the house of God is to him and to his heart, the, the very heart of God. That's how he felt about it. He was captivated by it, and he demonstrated that to everybody there. This was the state of the world of John's day. And this is the scene where John shows up, where he throws a, a, a spiritual spanner in their religious works because he challenged what was considered acceptable. Because what was John's pulpit? He didn't go to the synagogues. Where was his, where was his synagogue? On the bank of the River Jordan. He didn't go and stand and read the scroll. He didn't, he didn't take the position of the rabbi and sit down and teach as the rabbis would do. No, he stood on the riverbank and proclaimed a message. You, you look at what he did, and this drew people. All of Judea and Jerusalem went to see this guy. Why? Because he was a proclaimer of the truth of God. He was the proclaimer of God's heart. He stood there and he proclaimed such truth that questioned the Romans and how they're supposed to conduct themselves. And you read this in Luke where he sits there and the, the soldiers ask him, what do we do? Just take what, you, what, what your wages are. Don't try to get any more. He, he challenged the spiritual leaders as well in regards to where they're at. He challenged everybody with the truth of God and what he brought to the, to the individual, what he brought to the families, what he brought to the nation was this mindset of this is who your God is and this is how you are made acceptable. He brought the truth of God to a people that were in need of truth. When somebody is confronted with nothing but hypocrisy, truth is a breath of fresh air. When people are confronted with nothing but religious routine, the truth of what a real relationship is refreshes you. This is what we have in John the Baptist's example. I don't think people were drawn to him by the way he was dressed, as strange as it was, or the location that was found, even though that was very different, nor did they, nor did they go there because he tickled their ears no, for the first time in a long while, they heard a message of hope, a hope for the future, hope for their condition, and hope for change. All the while, never losing sight of the greater purpose of his role. Now, what I mean by that is that in verses 2 and 3, we read, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way at the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Which means this, which means this. John the Baptist, and I've shared this before, John the Baptist had a very clear idea of what his role was in God's greater plan. 
He understood exactly what his purpose was, why he was there, and what he was to do. So much so that in John chapter 1, when the religious leaders come before him and say, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. So much so when they say, well, are you Elijah? And he goes, no, no, I'm not Elijah. And then when they say again, quoting Deuteronomy, are you that prophet? A reference to the Messiah. He says, no, I am not that prophet. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, the reason why I want to start off with this to, to lay the framework is because I have two points, only two points today with this as the basis. The first point is that of a theological reality which we need to understand, the theological reality that we can draw from John's life. And the second one is the practical application of how, that's actually, how those theological realities are actually lived out. And so what I want to do before I get into this, I'm going to invite the last person I'm going to interview for this week. Cass, could you please come forward, please, sister? Like, uh, Give her a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to ask you the whole six questions. I'll just ask you a couple. I guess the first one is, uh, what do you do? Oh, for those who don't know, uh, we have some visitors, some visitors here. This is Cass. Your name, what you do, and for how long you've been doing that? My name is Cass. Oh, this is really loud, Brad. My name is Cass. Um, I work at a company called Indeed in uh, the client success team. So I just help clients and internal salespeople. Um, and I have been working there for four years. Okay, for four years. Um, was this something that you planned on doing or you just sort of happened to land in this particular area? Uh, I happened to land there. So Alison worked at Indeed back then. One day the job was available and she sent me a text and told me to send her my resume. I did, and then I interviewed and got the job. Wow, wow, I'm sure she doesn't regret that at all. Okay, so that was not an insult, that was actually a... Anyway, let's, let's move on, let's move on. Now, you know what your role is at your work, correct? Yes. You have to, and because you know what that role is, you have no issue being about what you need to do in the workplace, correct? Yes. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's, that's really <laughs> good question so far. You sent me. Okay, those are not the questions <laughs> I sent you at all. So here is my thing: as a Christian in your workplace, do you know what your role is? Yes. Yes. Could you maybe share with us what you think that role is as a Christian? What do you think that role is? Um, so I think there are two parts to it. The first is to work hard to honor God with the job that He's given me, um, and to glorify Him through how I work. So I can do my job well because I know what it is day to day, but there's a difference between um, doing a job well, working professionally, and I think working for something more important, which is for God. And then the second part of it is I recognize that I've been placed in my workplace and with the people around me with a purpose, and I think that um, God wants me to have an impact on those people, and he gives me opportunities to do so each day at work. Okay, so what is... I've got two more questions for you. First question... What are some of the difficulties you have being a Christian in your workplace? So the biggest one for me is uh, some of my company's values. So my work is very big on supporting the pride movement. So for the LGBT community, Aaron touched on this a few weeks ago as well. His work does that. Um, I have people in my team who are gay and they've been in long-term relationships as well. And um, I find it challenging when um, we have special events to like, celebrate the Mardi Gras or we have conversations around same-sex marriage, that kind of thing. It's 
challenging for me to know how much to share my opinion and how to do so in a respectful and in a loving way as well. Um, and I think the way I handle it is I view people as people and the way they choose to live or the things that they do is secondary to that. God calls us to love those people and I recognise he's placed me there to um, be a different voice and maybe not be another judgmental Christian or another judgy voice in their life. So I try to do my best with that. Very nice, very nice. You, you did share one thing. Could you share that as well? Like, uh, this is part of that same question. Yeah. So I shared what I just said with Joe um, a couple months ago, and he asked me how I handle it normally when I have those kinds of events at work or those conversations. And my answer to him was that I run away from them, which is not the best approach. Um, but the truth of it is, if we do have like a special work event specifically for the Pride movement, or if we're getting like special Mardi Gras shirts ordered or something, I, I just stay away from it and I don't get involved. It's not the be- I don't know if it's the best approach. I'm still working that out. It's actually biblical. It's actually biblical. Joseph was a great example of it when uh, Potiphar's wife was like, "Hey," and she's like, "Sorry, that sounded bad." But he's like, he's like, he like takes off. He like takes off. I think that's good. But we, we we read that in Proverbs as well when it says, "Enter not into the path of wicked, neither go in the way of evil men." It says, "Turn from it, pass not by it, turn from it." And run away. I doesn't say run away, it says pass away, which sounds like you're going to die, but run away. Well, so that's actually biblical. Yeah, so it's not a, that's not a bad thing. Yep. Okay, so I, I think that's really cool in regards to that aspect. So my last question then is, how can we pray for you? Um, so I have built a lot of, I've formed a lot of really good relationships with the people I work with over the last few years. And, and I think it's becoming more obvious to me that I have God has given me a lot of impact with those people, sorry, a lot of influence with these people, um, and it's just about knowing how to use that influence, and a lot of the people I work with, they uh, are very much, you know, live in the moment, enjoy life for yourself kind of people, and um, I think I have an opportunity to show them that even though um, I don't live that way or I don't have that attitude, um, as a Christian, I live for something greater, and it's not dull, and it's not a sad life, but it's, it's fun, it's good, and I'm normal and, you know, again, just breaking stereotypes that they might have um, about what it means to be a Christian. So pray for um, wisdom and boldness as I navigate through that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, we're going to pray for you now, just really quickly. Um, thank you so much for doing that, sister. I know it was off the cuff, but really well done, really well done. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for our sister Cass. I thank you that she has a heart and understands that she serves a greater goal in her workplace, which is to serve and honor you. We pray for her now that you will give her wisdom to be able to navigate through the various controversial situations that she may encounter. I pray you'll give her the wisdom and discernment to say the right things that need to be said and also when not to say the things that don't need to be said. So we pray that you will equip her now, use her as a shining light in the workplace for your glory and for the extending of your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much. Give her a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen. Now what I find really quite interesting with what Cash shared is notice the confidence that she has in regards to her workplace, when you know what your role is, when you know your place, you know what the purpose is, and you function within that quite freely because you know what you can and you cannot do. The same principle applies biblically. same principle applies in regards who we are as Christians. Like I said, John, as the messenger of God, as preparing the way for the Messiah, he knew exactly what his position was. He knew his place, and he never deviated 
by that. When confronted by religious leaders, he never deviated. When questioned by various things, he never deviated. Did he have issues? Did he have struggles? Yes, that's evident in the Gospels when he sends his disciples to ask Jesus who he is or should he wait for another. So he was not perfect by any means, but he knew his place, which means for you and I, the inward drive that Cam talked about last week and shared about last week can begin by you and I having a clear understanding of what our role is, of what our place is, but I think even greater than that, what we have been made through trust and through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that's where it starts, the understanding of who you are. You do what you do because it is a natural outworking of who you are. And I think for a lot of us as Christians, we have an identity crisis because we don't fully understand what we have been made in Jesus Christ. Yesterday at the conference, at the conference, at the training session, Craig and I saw this massive banner that they had at, the, at, the, uh, at, at this hall. And it was amazing. So I took it, and I'm going to share it with you today. 28 things, 28 things biblically that you and I have been made through faith in Jesus Christ, through the relationship we share with Him. Because if we can understand and grasp the complexity of what it is we have been made, you know what happens? Then the outworking of our action stems naturally. See, it's not about the outward influence of saying, I will do this as long as Pastor John is looking at me. I will be this when Pastor Ben is always in my presence. I will attempt this when Jono and Caris are over at my house. No, no, no. It's not determined by outward factors or by outward influences. It is determined by the inward change that has been brought about. But a lot of us don't know what we are or who we are in Christ. So 28 things. You know what you got? Look at this. Know your place. That's point number one. Know your place. Because this is what you have been made. You are accepted in Him. Ephesians 1.6. You are complete in Him. Colossians 2.10. You are dead to sin. Romans 6.2. You are alive to Christ. Ephesians 2.5. You have the mind of Christ. You can do all things in Christ. You are chosen. But wait, there's more. You are called, 2 Timothy 1.9. You are being changed, 2 Corinthians 3.18. You are new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are God's temple, 1 Corinthians 6.19. You are forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. You are redeemed from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.14. You are blessed, Galatians 3.9. But wait, there's more. You are victorious, Revelation 12, 11. You are free, John 8, 31. You are strong, Ephesians 6, 10. You are healed, 1 Peter 2, 24. You are free of condemnation, Romans 8, 1. You are reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. You are joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. But wait, there's more. You are more than conquerors, Romans 8.37. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, uh, sorry, 5.14 and 5.13. You are beloved of God, Colossians 3.12. You are one with Christ, John 17.21. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 138.14. You will always triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is who you are. This is what you have been made. You are all of this. And what's crazy is that there's more. I only got 28. 
This is who you are. That if you take this list, this list, if you take this list and you work your way through this to understand and get a glimpse of what Jesus Christ has done in you and through you and with you, if you can get a grasp of this, if there's connection with that, what happens? Then it ends up flowing forth out into your conduct naturally because this is who you are. You and I, we need to understand. We've got to know our place. See, with everything we have been made into by Jesus Christ, it is done so not so I can walk around proudly and arrogantly and say, yeah, yeah, this is what I am. This is who I am. It's not about that. It's about you coming to understand this is what you have been made by the grace of God. God who was merciful to me, a sinner, so then I in turn can go and tell other people this is what God wants to make you. This is how God wants to make you, that through trust in Him, He makes you all this and more. Know your place so that I can now live selflessly instead of selfishly. This was the verse that I got given for devotion um, for yesterday's meeting. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He helps us in all our troubles so that we are able to help others who have all kinds of trouble using the same help that we ourselves have received. It is a word to prompt me that with what I have been made in Jesus Christ, I can then impart to others who can be made in Jesus Christ also. As shared by Sandy in that devotion ages ago, that we have been blessed in order to bless that we have been truly loved, and I shared this yesterday, that we have been truly loved in order to truly love. That as freely as if we received, we can freely, freely give. That's, that know your place. That's what we've been given in the person of Jesus Christ. And because we have been made into this and more, the theological reality that doesn't change. And this is what, this is what I think is really exciting. That doesn't change. That theological reality of what you have been made in Jesus Christ does not change. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. Because it had nothing to do with you in the first place. It hasn't changed the way Jesus sees you. And because this is how he sees you, this is what he wants to make you, he's done so in order for this next part. The, the practical application of such things. Be different. Be different. You notice it doesn't say do different. See, we, we fall into the habit of, of I need to do this and do this and do this. Once again, it's the, out, the outward factors, the outward influences that Cam talked about last week. No, it's about being different. See, you are made because you are Different. You're different now. You've been given a new heart. You've been given new values. You've been given new desires. You've been given new goals. This is what we have been given. We are to be different. Granted, John's clothing, John's pulpit, John's message, John's attitude flew in the face of the religious standards of the day. His clothing was more than casual. It was animal skins and a belt, a leather belt, probably made out of some other animal that he killed. Now, where the religious leaders of his day lived high on the hog, his pulpit was the sanctuary 
that was not the sanctuary of the synagogue, nor his stance seated like a rabbi. As I shared, he stood outside on the banks. He stood outside among the people, sharing a message of who God is. John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24 is when Jesus spoke about when people would worship, that they would no longer worship at the temple, nor on this particular mountain. He was saying there will come a day when those that worship will worship me in spirit and in truth. That's what happens in John chapter 4, verse 24. Then there's his diet, locusts and wild honey. Now, you could look at a metaphorical picture here, I could look at, um, but there's this, this basic truth regarding the things that he ate, is that what he ate was different to what everybody else ate. I think about what Jesus ate. If you look at the instance where he was sharing with the woman in John chapter 4, and, and, and he talked about, he, he talked about get, getting water, etc., etc. But one of the things he says in Matthew chapter 4, 4, when the temptation, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was his food. So much so that in John 4, 32, when his disciples come back from getting food, they say to him, like, do you want something to eat, Jesus? He says, no, I have food that you know not of. And they didn't understand that. What was that food? His food was to do the will of the Father who sent him. That's where he found his sustenance. That's where he found his contentment. That's where he found his fulfillment. Think about that for a second for you and I. When we think about the things that we find our fulfillment in, more often than not, it is not the things of God. When we find the things that we find our sustenance in, more often than not, it is not the things of God. When we, when we think about the things that we entertain ourselves with, more often than not, it is not the things of God we find our entertainment in. See, when you, look, you look at how John was different in, in so many ways, but when you look at all those so many ways, you think, okay then, well then, in what ways am I different to everybody that's around me? What are, what's my clothing? What's, you know, when people look at me, do they see the camel skin and the leather belt? Do they see the, the sustenance that I have? Do they see the entertainment that I take joy in? And are those things that I take joy in and the sustenance I find, are those the same things that Joe Blow down the road does who doesn't know Jesus? Are those the things that people find entertainment in, the, the thing that, that, that they find having fun with, are those the same sort of things that, I don't know, Frederick Douglass, not Frederick Douglass, he was a great abolitionist of slavery in the old, sorry, that's, that's a terrible name to use, Frederick Hargraves. Frederick Hargraves, I don't know who that guy is either, but Frederick Hargraves, who, what does he do to entertain himself and does what I do fall in line with that as opposed to the things of God? You see, if, if you think about all of these things here of what we've been made, right, if that is what and who I have been made in Jesus Christ, does my life reflect that? See, we may not need to dress in animal skins and eat locusts and wild honey to promote the message that we preach. It could be done through the way we work. It could be done through the how we treat each other and how we, we react or treat those in need. It could be done how we choose to use our spare time. It could be done on how we, how we enjoy, just, uh, have, just in the way we have fun. It could be, and this is what I like about Cass's example, it could be done by choosing not to participate in something that everybody else does, even though it might result in you being an outcast. To be different. 
And, and the thing is this, the reason why we can be different is because according to all of these truths here, these 28 truths of what you and I have been made, the reason why because we can be different is because according to those truths, you are different. You are. And that does not change. Like Cameron's mum, who made an impact in the, 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 that person's life and bringing, it to, bringing him to Christ. Like Jono and his work colleagues, when he made the right choice instead of throwing things to the side. Whether it's Bill's clients or Craig's clients, Eva's students or the elderly at Nordby, they see the difference. And Jesus says this, Let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, the world has always been a certain way. And the best way we can be different is that when we encounter people, or even when people come into this church, what they see in here is a touch of heaven. What they see in here is the reality of Jesus' love. How terrible would it be if a person that experienced a whole bunch of gossip and backstabbing out in the world comes into the church and experiences a whole bunch of gossip and backstabbing? No, no, no. We are to be different because we've been made different. So, my brothers and my sisters, may you leave here today challenged, but also encouraged, encouraged with what you've been made in Jesus Christ, challenged to be what you have been made, and not to be governed by how other people see you, but rather governed by the way your God sees you, and by the way your God has made you. Because when we grasp that, when we catch a glimpse of that, imagine the impact that could be made in the lives of those around us. I think it's quite a good one too, actually. I'd just like to uh, invite the music team up, and we'll close on a song, and then I'll close in prayer afterwards. While we're singing, I would encourage you to think about your own lives personally and how God might challenge your life in regards to being different for the kingdom of God because you have been made different for the glory of God.